This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 90 of Small Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Smallman, and your other host, Steve Cerruti, is here. Cerruti, can you believe that we have done 90 episodes of this podcast? I mean, it's insane. 90, I mean, we've got to do something big for the 100th episode, I guess, then, right? What do we get? I mean, we've got something planned. I don't know what we're doing. Big guests? I don't know. <laughs> Who would our big guests be for the 100th episode? <laughs> um, I don't know. Who would be like our white whale? Would it be Nelly? Get Nelly on. There you go. He's in the news right now. He needs some pub. He's a good pub, especially. I mean, did you really have to go there, Steve? Here we are talking about how we're <laughs> encroaching on 100 episodes, and you have to bring up what happened over the weekend. I mean, I know we're going to talk about it, but it still stings, okay? You didn't have to just throw that haymaker right out of the gate. Well, listen, I know he needs some good pub. I know he's your boy. He was my boy, too. We can get into that a little bit. Like, I was as big of a Nelly fan as there was back in 2000. He was the shit. He was probably, like, one of the first rap albums I ever bought that I fell in love with. But uh, not a great showing from him. But, like, honestly, I'm trying to think of who is the white whale guest that is on both of our lists that we would be so pumped equally to have on. Nelly is probably up there. Okay. Because we've had people that we're both mutual friends with on the show. We've talked to Rosillo, we've talked mm-hmm. to Canel, we've talked to Will Kane. So I don't think there's anyone in that sector that we've missed, right? No, we've got the sports media thing covered. We're good there. We we're need, gonna- yeah, we need like, I don't know, 90s, early 2000s mm-hmm. entertainer, I think. Because both of us grew up in the weird age of the internet in the early 2000s. Which, by the way, the early 2000s, sneaky weirdest decade of all time. You know my disdain for the 80s. The 2000s, like the early from 2000 to 2009, is as weird, if not weirder, to be honest with you. Like the style's terrible. <laughs> Music was great, but in a weird way and not as great as the 90s, I would say. So the 2000s, sneaky, odd decade. See, I couldn't disagree with you more, especially coming off the ludicrous Nelly battle. Nelly kept saying in the battle that he and Ludacris were in the same rookie class, which was 99-2000, and that he would put their rookie class and rap up against anything. And I completely agree with him. It's like the Marino Elway of the rap game, their rookie class. And think about musically what you had going on back then, okay? You certainly had your Nellies, your Ludacrises, you had your Nas's, your Jadakiss, you had everything covered on the pop front with all the boy bands and the Christina Aguilera's and the Britney Spears's and man more with Candy, which, by the way, shout out to my friend Chris, who sent that song, a video to me with that song in it. And that song still absolutely plays, Candy by Mandy Moore. I mean, Mandy Moore, she has, like, the most longevity of all of them, right? Because she's an actress now, and she's been in a bunch of different things. She hasn't had the midlife crisis, to my knowledge. I think she's doing pretty well out of all of those kind of, who is it? It's Britney, it's Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, her. Was there anybody else that we're missing? Like, no. she's kind of, like, the most normal one. Yeah, but Simpson's a billionaire. Okay, so I'm always going to defer to Simpson. Yeah, but in, she had kind of a messy scene there. There was the Nick Lachey deal. Like, what is the rough patch of Mandy Moore? Yes, yeah, she might not have been as famous as all of those, but she's been, like, consistently great and then has evolved her career into something completely different. Now, I do not like the show This Is Us. Whenever Maddie has it on, I'm, just like, I'm like, why is everyone crying? It's the saddest show ever. Everyone is always super sad. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand what the appeal of it is, but it's super popular, and she's one of the main characters. So, like, shout out to Mandy Moore. Yeah, you say that she's changed her career, but lest we forget a walk to remember. I mean, Mandy was an oh, true. iconic actress even during her singing years. That's true. I guess you could say, like, Christina Aguilera's got the reality TV show thing with, uh, what is it, The Voice? Yeah. And so did Jessica Simpson. But I don't know. I don't think of Christina Aguilera when I think of that show. Now she's just judging singers. It's the same sort of genre, right? Like, she's, she's coaching them, okay? She's coaching them. Well, 
Well, yeah, you know, I don't watch the show, so I don't really know I don't how either. it goes down. I just always, what, 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 they have the back turn to them, like a yes or a no thing. It's basically <laughs> Tinder for singers. It is, wait, is the voice <laughs> Tinder for singers? <laughs> it's pretty close. Oh, my God. I will never, well, I don't watch the voice, but I will never be able to think of the voice as anything else. That is an amazing, amazing comp. It is Tinder for singers. There you go. Every once in a while, I come up with a good one. <laughs> but I mean, if we're really going to get into those four, I would say yes, because Mandy Moore did get divorced. She's remarried. Who are her husbands? She was married to Ryan Adams. Remember Ryan Adams? Oh, my God. She was. That's yeah, right. She got divorced. I know. And now she's remarried. Let me stand by. We're getting research on this. He's also Ryan a Adams, musician. Like, All right. I like Ryan Adams. Ooh, Ryan Adams, I think, had some... Uh, some issues, Steve. You might not want to ride for him. Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to be canceled. I take that back. Yeah. I don't even know what, you, what you're talking about, but. Um, okay. She was married Wait, from Ryan Adams from 2009 until 2016, and she is now married to musician Taylor Goldsmith. Who's that? Should I know who that is? Oh, he's in the band Dawes. You know Dawes. Oh, yeah. Actually, I almost saw Dawes. Kind of. We missed their concert. They opened for, uh, who did they open for? Who did we see? I don't remember who it was. Mumford and Sons, one of those. Uh, it was one of those concerts. I don't know who, who. It was one of those weird indie concerts, and we heard them coming in. And I know like three of their songs, and they're pretty good. So shouts out to him. Steve Cerruti once almost saw Dawes at a concert he can't remember. Yes. <laughs> it was a really great time. Everybody, uh, take my. <laughs> Take my word for it. It was awesome. Okay, but back to early 2000s music, you then had the alternative stuff. You had the Counting Crows era. You had kind of... Hold on, really quick. Speaking of concerts, I saw Counting Crows, uh, and I like Counting Crows. I like the guy, What is, I think his name's Adam, too. I love the lead. Yeah, Adam Duritz, you know, right? Big guy with the hair. Yeah. Saw Counting Crows in Hartford. I was super pumped for it. It was like probably maybe 10 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Worst concert I've ever been to. Worst, Damn. by far. And That's again, awesome. I am a Counting Crows fan. He was just hammered the whole time, and he changed the words to every song. So you couldn't even sing along to anything. So, And I do remember that was Maroon 5 and Counting Crows. I went just specifically for Counting Crows. I'm not a big Maroon 5 fan, although I do like uh, Adam Levine. We've come full circle here with the voice. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, so I would not recommend a Counting Crows show. Maybe they've changed. Maybe they changed. I don't know. But it was bad then. That's how I feel about Dave Matthews Band, speaking of those early 2000s Ugh. bands. When yeah. you see Dave, it's either such a hit or such a miss. I've seen Dave lawn seats a few times during my college years. Nothing, and I mean nothing, brings me to a good place like listening to Dave Matthews on a boat with a beer in my hand. I mean, that is peak Michelle. And um, <laughs> it just brings me back to the to the best times, you know, like summers and college when everyone's at the lake together, hanging out. You maybe have a turkey sandwich on the boat. Yeah. But you're really just rafting and drinking. It's very fun. Dave, yeah, like Dispatch and OAR all fall oh, on that playlist. Totally. That is exactly what we're vibing with. There that is, is my least favorite playlist of all time. Oh, I live for it. But Dave is either on point, playing everything you want to hear in order of the way you want to hear it, or he's doing an 18-minute guitar riff, and you're just like, really? Can we bring it back, Dave, to what we're trying to do here? How do you feel about older people? Not older people, like adults <laughs> with kids who still go to Dave concerts, may bring their kids, may not bring their kids and just get after it and act like they're in college again. Because that's a big thing. I guess one of the reasons I don't like Dave concerts, I don't like Dave's music to begin with. Not saying he's not talented, just not my thing. Um, I also had a roommate in college who listened to way too much Dave. And just from there, I'm scarred for life. Yeah, yeah. But then there are 
you know, late thirties, early forties people who like will just get after it and smoke a shit ton of weed and get hammered at Dave concerts every single year. That's like their big thing. It's like, Oh, Dave is this weekend. We're getting after we got a babysitter for the kids. We're just going to get hammered and black out. I'm assuming that you've never been to a Jimmy Buffett concert then, Steve, because the parrot heads, nah, it's like I mean, <laughs> the exact same thing. It's like the parrot heads. Are really? The, oh, my God. The parrot heads are wild. I mean, I have never, and I mean never, had a pregame situation like I did when I went to a Jimmy Buffett concert. It was an amazing time. And I feel like the parrot heads. What were you drinking? What was like, it? Like, was it just all, all like, fruity margaritas? Like, what are we talking? Like, island drinks? Pina coladas? Like, what are we doing? We were sure getting our island vibe on, and I definitely had a contact high. Everybody was blazing up. We are having fruity tropical drinks. Everyone's in Hawaiian prints and lays, and everyone is just, there was so many inflatable pools in the parking lot. It was a killer time. <laughs> I've never understood the Jamie Buffett thing. I've just never understood it. I understand it situationally. I understand it when you're at the beach, when you're on vacation, you know, or even if you want to feel like you're on vacation, but there are like people that listen to Jimmy Buffett and his music year round. And I don't understand how you do that. I'm a person who like, I listen to music based on what my moods and my vibes are. So like, I'll go through hardcore, like, you know, nineties rock stuff or nineties rap or like, you know, 2000s rap when we were growing up, or I'll go and do like a punk rock thing with like Blink-182. I just have so many different things and they're all based on kind of my mood. Mm -hmm. But there are people that year round will just listen to Jimmy Buffett. They'll just shuffle the same, you know, 20 to 30 songs. And that's what they listen to all day, every day. I've never understood that. Well, I don't really know what there is to understand. You want to go to Margaritaville. Every day? (laughs) I don't think an island vibe is seasonal, Steve. I think it is. I wouldn't listen to beach music in the middle of winter in the Northeast. I just wouldn't do that. That's prime Mumford and Sons weather. When it's getting cold, you have a flannel on, you start some fight. You can't have a fleece on and like a wool hat and it's starting to snow. It's maybe getting towards the end of the end of the year. And then you just pop Jimmy Buffett on to feel like you're on a beach. That's just not how my brain works. Okay. First of all, just because it's snowing doesn't mean we all have to be bummed out and listening to Bonnie Vera by the fire. Okay. Some of us can can get <laughs> okay. into island escapism. That's a great vibe, though. Yeah, it actually is a great vibe. Like throwing some whole scene and just let it ride. <laughs> oh, please. Right? Love, let's go. <laughs> but I'm just saying there really is no better time to have some island escapism than when it's what was it? Steve, a bomb cyclone in Connecticut, and you are so frozen and bummed out. The only way you get through that is by thinking in your mind of what it's going to be like when you have a frosty Miami Vice in your hand and you're sitting in the sand with the sun beating down on you. I mean, vitamin D is my drug of choice, so I don't really know when there's a bad time to queue up some Jimmy Buffett. What you need to do is you need to be present and be in the season that you're currently in, not thinking about what the future is. Be in the moment. Fall is the best season of all, period. I will argue that to my death. Spring is the worst season. Winter's not even that bad. Like, all right, it's a little bit of snow. It's a little bit of cold. You know me. I'm a, I'm a layers guy. I love layers. And again, situational music is amazing. And that's what makes summer so great. I, I have a hard time living in Florida or like Southern California or a place where it's hot and vacation all the time mm-hmm. because I think you need the ebbs and flows. You need winter to make summer feel so great. If it was summer all year round, I just don't know if you would appreciate it as much. So I appreciate the other seasons for both their music, for their weather, for whatever. I think you need all those seasons to make yourself a well-rounded person. I just can't be happy listening to Jimmy Buffett wishing it was summer all the time. It's a bummer to me. I don't know. It sounds like you're denying yourself pleasure, Steve, which we can get into on another (laughs) time. But if... Bonnie Vare is the soundtrack of winter and Jimmy Buffett is the soundtrack of summer. What musician or band is the soundtrack of spring and fall? 
I don't know why I'm this, the first thing that came to my mind for spring was passion pit. Um, <laughs> and such, I actually think I nailed it. That is such a right? good call. Oh my God. I was and, not expecting yeah. passion pit, but I am down with it. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's kind of getting sunny. It's quirky. It's a little bit weird. Yes. You know, I don't know, but yes. it's not quite summer yet. I actually think that's a pretty good one. Fall is prime Mumford and Sons time. You know this. Because it's kind of like dark, depressing music, but I wouldn't say it's winter exactly, because you're right. Like, Boney Bear is winter music, period. Like, you get a blanket, you curl up by a fire, you listen to some Boney Bear, maybe have some whiskey, like, really feel like you're in the element. Mumford & Sons is fall for me. See, for me, fall is like a Brooks & Dunn vibe. I'm wearing jeans, I'm wearing boots, I'm working mm-hmm. at a bonfire from time to time. I'm getting my old school Garth Brooks, Brooks & Dunn country vibe on. Summer, we're definitely going island. Winter, Bonnie Iver. Passion Pit for for spring Nailed was it. so good. <laughs> because even their cover art is kind of poppy colors, and that's exactly what you want in springtime yep. is those colors and that like, yes, are we going to sit on a patio soon? You bet your ass we are. Vibe going on. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? Because I think the perfect transition from spring to summer, like as soon as it was nice out and I was able to put my windows down in the car, you know who I put on immediately? What? Third Eye Blonde. Ew, no. They are the, they are, no. Yeah, they are you the were perfect, so good like, with Passion the, Pit, and now you just took a hard look. No, no, no. Like, as soon as it's nice out, you get the windows down, no AC, no heat, like, the temperature's perfect where you don't need either one. You throw on like semi charm kind of life or losing a whole year or any of those songs, any of those kind of upbeat third eye blind songs, you are just instantly going to guarantee to be in a good mood. That's how it works. And it gets you completely ready for summer. And then once I'm in summer, because I'm not really a big Jimmy Buffett guy at all, one of my sneaky great summer tunes or summer bands, I should say, is Vampire Weekend. Vampire Weekend, incredible summer band. You lost me, Steve. I can promise you. I've gone too deep. I, you've gone too deep, and I can promise you I'm not craving a rosé on a patio, listening to Third Eye Blind churn on about, uh, a guy, are, about a guy trying to jump off a ledge. That doesn't really make me want to okay, sit on a patio with my friends. Specifically. <laughs> not that song specifically. Just, you know, the catalog, Graduate, another great one. Just throw in their original self-titled album, which I think came out in, what, 97, 96 or whatever, which I will maintain is the greatest album in the Ugh. entire 1990s. It is the best album front to back. It is There is no song you skip on that album. Just put that album on, and you're going to have a great freaking time. Because I'm not one of those. I can't listen to Jimmy Buffett when I'm there. I, I would get annoyed. It's too mainstream for me. Okay, so now we've opened the musical door. Let's stay here. I was reluctant to talk about the Ludacris Nelly battle, but we yes. have to discuss it because this was my quarantine Super Bowl, and I was way too emotionally attached to this. And I thought, okay, we don't have sports going on. In the absence of sports, nothing represents St. Louis the way the Cardinals and the Blues do like Nelly. I mean, Nelly is synonymous with St. Louis. And there's been all of these great Instagram battles going on during quarantine. And it was about time that Nelly got his due. And when I heard he was going to be paired with Ludacris, I said, wow, this is going to be a tough battle. Ludacris's catalog is insane and it's deep. Okay. But the sneaky thing about Nelly is everybody thinks EI. Everybody thinks ride with me. Everyone thinks country grammar. Nelly's catalog is also sneaky deep, especially when you include his collabs and especially when you include his work with the St. Lunatics. So I thought if Nelly plays his cards right this is going to be atlanta versus st louis and atlanta's going to think they're up 28-3 and then boom nelly's going to come in and win the game (laughs) but that is not what happened that is not what happened and let me just set the scene for you okay steve the floor is yours okay thank you i will set the scene and then i really want to get your take on it but i think it's only fair that since my team took the big l that i go first and that i express my feelings on this one because i've been emotional i've been upset about this ever since it happened so 
I have been running a lot in quarantine. It's been my way to kind of clear my head and, frankly, just get out of the house. It's an excuse to get out of the house. And so I've been running about six miles, seven miles every day. And the battle was on a Saturday, Saturday night, prime time, 7 p.m., and on Friday, I did my six miles, and I said, okay, I'm going to go strictly— Like, I know Nelly's catalog like the back of my hand, right? I could have written Nelly's entire playlist for him, knowing— Like, if Ludacris threw a left, I would have an uppercut ready to go for Nelly, right? I thought, okay, I know Nelly, but I need to scout the opponent. So I ran six miles listening to a strictly Ludacris playlist, and I got in my car after I was done, and I went, wow. Okay, this is going to be difficult. Ludacris has got some bangers. Like, we know what Ludacris is capable of. So Saturday night rolls around. You know, I pour myself a cocktail. We're ready to go. Everybody that I know that's invested in this, we are hyped. We are pumped. Nervous. There's a nervous energy in St. Louis when this is going on. The pregame energy was off the charts. I mean, my texts were blowing up. The people I was with, we were all chatting about this. And, Steve, as you know, people from St. Louis take anything regarding St. Louis very personally. And we knew that this was our time to shine. And we would say, like, hey, Nelly still holds. Because a lot of people are like, you know, Nelly has kind of fallen off. And, yes, his later work is not as great as his early stuff. I will absolutely give you that. But this was our chance to be like, do not disrespect Cornell Hayes, all right? He's still got it. So I go to Nelly's Instagram, and it's frozen. I refresh. I'm hitting the live. Still frozen. All I see is Nelly frozen eating a chicken wing. And I'm like, what the hell? So then I'm like, all right, maybe this, maybe I should go to Ludacris. I pull up Ludacris, crystal clear. He's he's bumping some jam, and I'm like, all right, so what's going on? They could not connect Nelly for, I don't know, maybe an hour. He kept connecting, and then it would he would dip out. And to Nelly's credit, it was storming very bad here in St. Louis. So he's out in the boondocks. Okay. I'm sure he doesn't get a lot of great I was gonna service. Say he, I was going to say he lives in St. Louis still. He's still that's, where his, that's his main compound. He was at the compound in St. Louis, and he lives far out. He, wow, he okay. lives like a good 30, 40 minutes from the city. He's got some space to roam, and it was storming very bad. So I will give him that, but it's still not a good look for us, right? Like, come on, you can't keep connecting and disconnecting, and you also have to have the Ethernet cord ready to go, bro. Like, you cannot start it out like this. This is <laughs> this is like throwing a pick six on the first drive. You've already conceded people who are going to say Ludacris wins the battle because Nelly can't get his Wi-Fi together. So it was, that was very, very frustrating. And God bless Ludacris because he was so patient. He entertained the crowd. He played never-before-played songs from he and Lil Wayne, which were subpar, but whatever. It was something. He was trying to get the crowd engaged, the 300,000, 400,000-plus people that were on the live waiting for this to go down. So it finally connects, and Ludacris is like, oh, my God, praise his name. We are connected. Let's go. So the battle starts, and then Ludacris is like, we've already wasted enough time. Boom. Here's what we're doing. Nelly decides to, you know, wax poetic about shout out this person, shout out that person, shout out 35 other people. Let me tell you a little story about this song. And everyone's like, Nelly, just play the song. Yeah. And come so, on, dude. come on. We're here dude. for the music. We're here, we're here for the jams. So, between the first four songs, Nelly kept dropping. And so it didn't get into a flow. Then the storm passes, Nelly finally gets his Wi Fi right. And that's when things really start to go haywire because Ludacris is throwing major, major blows to the body. And Nelly instead bangers. bangers. And Nelly's like, do you remember this collab from 2008 that only 12 people heard because I'm going to play it right now? <laughs> and everyone's like, 
Nelly, why? What yeah, are you doing? You realize doing? this is a battle, right? Do you understand that you're trying to win this? And so we're going to break it down song by song. We're really going to get into this. But here's all I have to say. Nelly forever. Nelly is amazing. Nelly's song selection was worse than his Wi-Fi. Nelly handed the W to Ludacris on a silver platter. He left so many amazing songs on the table. I was very disappointed in the songs that he chose. And I just think that had he come out with a better game plan, that he could have taken Ludacris down. And I walked away from that and I texted a friend afterwards and I said, you know, I'm not going to check social media for like the next 24 hours. This is like when your team loses in the Super Bowl and you can't watch SportsCenter for like three days because you're so bummed out. You just have to sleep it off. And he handed this to Ludacris. It was like Pete Carroll not giving Marshawn Lynch the ball at the one. You just play the hits, right? This is all the people want. I know Ludacris went with a collab early and you basically said he broke the rules, so I'm going to go with the biggie collab. No. You say, you know what? I understand you had a lot of collabs, but I have my own hits that I'm going to play. We are going to go batter up here because this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm proud of. I was disappointed, and we gave it away. St. Louis gave it away. So I didn't watch it live. You had texted me about it, and I was like, well, I have a friend's game night thing. So I couldn't watch it live. I ended up checking out the playlist before I even saw any of the video or any of the songs from it. So I'm looking at the playlist, and I'm going, some of these Nelly songs, I'm like, these are the deep tracks. What are we doing here? Because I'm with you. Like, Ludacris did not need any help to beat Nelly. If we're talking bangers, to like top 10 songs versus top 10 songs, which ones you want to hear, Ludacris has taken that, and I'm, I hate to say it, but it's kind of in a landslide. But I thought that there would be creative, sneaky ways where Nelly might be able to kind of get in there and mm-hmm. use some collab stuff, use some remixes, maybe use some new stuff or whatever to try to steal a win away from Ludacris. But he did himself absolutely zero favors here. But there is one matchup that I think is the matchup of all matchups. Which I know we're going to go probably song by song here. But I'll say this, to sum up these two guys, Ludacris was my absolute favorite rapper when I was like 12. As soon as I knew what rap was. Now, I'll say this before I even say that. But the first album that I ever bought, the first rap album that I like really, really got into was Country Grammar. It was 2000. It was like 99 into 2000, mm-hmm. right? Michelle, you know better than I would. Yes, so I think it was like 99 into 2000. And that was the, the Country Grammar. I know that album front to back. It was the first album that I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm into rap. Like, let's go. This is my thing. <laughs> like, I'm like this 12-year-old white kid just getting super pumped about you know, whatever <laughs> EI incredible song. You mentioned Batter Up. It was hilarious. And I think that album of both of these guys, Ludacris and Nelly, Country Grammar is the best album that either of them ever put out. So Nelly has that check in his corner. But if you go song by song, track by track, and then if you even go into remixes, stuff that both of them have you know, been on, if you're like, hey, here's a remix to this song and Luda's on it, if Luda's on it, I'm sorry to Nelly, but I'm listening to that Luda song because he just makes every remix infinitely better at the time. Like He was that good of a guy of an MC coming up. So I'll give the album to Nelly, but I'll give the general catalog of songs. That has to go to Ludacris. When you approach a situation like this, when you know Ludacris's bars are better than yours, you have to beat him with range. Lyrically, I think Ludacris is superior to Nelly. Nelly is so diverse. He can go grills or he can go loving me and dilemma Nelly Kelly. You know, he can bring it up or he can slow it down. He can collab with Tim McGraw. You know, he just has the range and that's how you beat Ludacris. And the fact that he would leave over and over on the table, the fact that he, when he's going deep tracks, wouldn't pull out deep tracks from country grammar. Like I mentioned, loving me or thicky thick girl or Midwest swaying even. That is where he lost me. When Ludacris comes out with welcome to Atlanta, you're like, oh wow. Okay. So he is not playing around. Oh, it's on. It is on. It's fucking 
fucking on. This yeah. is like out of the gate, right? He is on. And I respected Nelly was going with Na 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 because that's an underrated song. The way that I look at it, you don't a battle, open with that, though. You don't open with but that. Here's, you don't open with Na. Can I, defend, can I defend my boy here for a second? I would love to because I think it's indefensible. You don't open with that song. So if Ludacris is opening with Welcome to Atlanta, I am throwing a song in there that is good, but I know nothing's going to beat that, right? That's one of his TKO punch outs that I love Nelly. And I there's a lot of songs that Nelly could put up against that song that I think might win. But to me, you say, okay, I'm going to let you take that point because I know that there's other songs down the road that I have that are better that I can counter you with. So I'm going to just give him round one. It's a strategic thing. Which is Maybe. what I thought Nelly that's, was doing. All right, that's a good call. Was I the only one that on LimeWire or like Kazaa? There were like a hundred different remixes of Welcome to Atlanta. Oh my God, And there was like Welcome sure. to New York. And then there was like Welcome to every every rapper in their city did Welcome to Blank, you know. That song was the most copied and remixed song, I think, maybe of all time. Yeah, that song was amazing. But then round two, Ludacris comes out with P-Pop and, and Nelly kicks him in the face with Tip Drill. By default, because I don't like really either of those songs, but I like Tip Drill better. Tip Drill is just a better song. You don't like Tip Tip Drill's an incredible song. Like, what it's not, it's just not one of my favorite tracks of his, but it's definitely better than Pop. Pop is not a good song. So sorry. I mean, sorry to... I don't, I don't hate on it. On but, a fate. But then you go... No, not a fan. Then you go, Ludacris, My Chick Bad, and Nelly comes back with Pimp Juice. So this is what I'm talking about. I think Ludacris takes round one. He throws a dagger, and Nelly's like, okay, I'm going to let you have that one. I'm going to see how you play this. And he takes rounds two and three because Pimp Juice is better than My Chick Bad. I would agree. So it's 2-1 Nelly right now. It's 2-1 Nelly. So then Ludacris comes out with Ho. Nelly comes out with Flap Your Wings. Again, I'm deferring to Nelly because I th- Ho's an okay song, but it's certainly not Ludacris' best song. And Flap Your... You have to think about tempo, too. So I think Nelly comes out, takes the lead 3-1. to one. Drop down and get your eagle on, girl. I mean, come That's on. I have to say that. That generated an entire dance move in the club. You hear that song, so that, every, so- everyone's dropping down. So now you're thinking, oh, damn, like Nelly might run away with this. He hasn't even really had a major banger yet, and he's up 3-1. That's right. This is what I'm throwing on my Cardinals hat. I'm like, we're going to kick ass here. St. Louis is going to kick ass here. Much like the Warriors against the Cavs, that 3-1 lead ain't safe. You know what? You are correct. So then, Ludacris goes Saturday, and Nelly says, cute, here's Ride With Me. This was maybe the hardest one of all of them. Now, there's another one. There's two that are hard. This is one of them, and we'll get to the other one in just a second. Because Saturday is a fucking banger. Absolute banger. But I don't know that there is... I mean, is Ride With Me like a top 10 summer rap song? How many other songs would you put in that category? You put that song on, you're in a convertible, you're at oh, the yeah. beach. We're talking about beach songs. Oh, Ride God. With Me is like the ultimate incredible summer cruising, yes. and you just want to feel good about yourself. I have to give it to Nelly here. I, you have to give it to Ride With Me, even though Saturday is such a good song. Right. So Nelly's up 4-1, and you're like, oh, my God, ludicrous. I'm seeing blood, right? Get the trainer in the corner because he needs some stitches. And round six is, to me, the toughest to judge. Ludicrous says, all right, Nelly, I see you, and I'm coming out with What's Your Fantasy, which is, in my opinion, probably the best Ludicrous song. Is it really? Maybe it's a nostalgia thing. I love that song. Yep. To me, when I think Ludacris, that's the song I think of. And then Nelly counters with Country Grammar, which is exactly the song you think of when you think of Nelly. So to me, it was that round was a push. I would even give a slight edge to Nelly. Because wow. Country Grammar, I mean, that song, 
when that song and just hot shit and then it just goes into it i mean there are a few that's why country grammar the album is so great too and why i said nelly like if we're talking about single albums that's the best of either one because that album is awesome and i don't actually love what's your fantasy that much I, you're right i think you're right about when you think of ludicrous that's maybe the song you think of but it's by far not his not even for me in his top 15 probably tracks of all time so i'd actually give a slight edge to nelly on that one Big five one in my book. Wow. So, Sneaky, I thought that Country Grammar would win, but I have such respect for what's your fantasy, and I didn't want to be a homer. That That's why I said push. But if we're going there, then yes, Nelly wins that round as well. The problem is, though, here is where just the, I mean, the bottom Ugh. just falls out for Nelly. Here. This is where I tweeted this. This is the sports version of the Cardinals pitching to Big Poppy in the World Series in 2013. <laughs> like, this is when Nelly says, wow, yeah. I'm up by a significant margin and so I'm going to get cute here and I'm going to force you to beat me. And Ludacris is like, why are you getting cute? And it was embarrassing. But anyway, Ludacris goes with rollout. Nelly says, oh, remember when I dated Ashanti on and off for a million years? Let's play body on me. Like, Which, you know, is a pretty good flex, though. It is a good flex. But if you're talking song, I mean, roll out in a freaking landslide. But what do they say about bringing a knife to a gunfight? If Ludacris shows up with a gun because roll out is a gun, you don't come in with a knife. That's the no, song version of showing up with a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> yeah, no, you got the strategy down. I think you're right here. Like he did sort of do some strategy where he's like, okay, I'm not going to beat you right. I'm not going to beat roll out. That's like a top five Ludacris song. I'm going to casually slip in the fact that I dated Ashanti. What's up? And we're going to play this, you know, track. that's definitely going to take an L, but people are going to be like, oh, remember that time I dated Ashanti. It's a good move by him, even even though he takes the L. Steve, we're talking about a victory here, not a personal dating flex. Save that. Everybody knows you dated Ashanti. <laughs> and this is when, okay, when Mike Matheny kept calling for the Cardinals to pitch to Big Poppy, Steve, I would put my face in my hands. I'm doing it right now. It's probably muffled. And I would scream into my hands and be like, why? Why are you making this decision? This is exactly <laughs> what I did when Nelly said, okay, you know, we're, we're keeping it to the ladies, like shout out ladies. And I thought, oh, he's throwing dilemma. He's throwing dilemma. Nelly Kelly, he's texting her on an Excel spreadsheet. Nelly Kelly dilemma is the exact move that you go here. And instead he throws out my place. Okay, which is, oh, it's an okay song, but you don't, you hit them where it hurts and you throw out Dilemma here. And then Ludacris says, oh, wow, okay, so you're just going to give me the W this round. I'm going with Splash Waterfalls, which is an incredible song. Yeah, this to me was, uh, this is a landslide um, because this is an incredible Ludacris song, Ludacris track. And again... I didn't even really remember this song by Nelly, too, by the way. I kind of felt, I went back and listened to some of these on, on YouTube afterwards. I was like, okay, yeah, I remember this. But, like, Splash Waterfall is not really beatable. And that, to me, is one of Ludacris' best songs. So I guess you could say the other the, the strategy of Nelly just saying, hey, maybe I'll just take the L here again because you're not going to beat that. But he definitely was just, like, threw this random track out there that I wouldn't have even put in his top 20 songs ever. I don't even really want to go through the rest of these, Steve, because I'm reading the list. Well, let me do the next one. The it's next so one. painful. It is so... I'm looking at his choices after this, and it is paining me. I don't even want to say the words of what he chose. But in his defense, next one, unbeatable song. Ciara featuring Ludacris, Oh. O is one of those songs you put on. I don't know why, but that gives me the most nostalgia of any song in this entire track list. That song is such a 
banger that when you put that on, it brings me back to, what, what 2004, Ciara, like in that hoodie, in that music video where she's looking um, like incredible. By the way, she still looks incredible today. Yeah, she looked does. Looks incredible then. That was, again, that's like basically an unhittable pitch right there. Like you're not going to be able to do anything with that. That's an Adam Wainwright curveball. But I actually think that he took a great hack at it by throwing out Biggie remix. I mean, that remixes album was unbelievable, and I thought Nasty Girl was the best track on it. I personally, if you gave me either one of those songs to cue up, I'm going Nasty Girl over O every time. I actually thought Nelly won that round, even though the general population wow. didn't agree with me. Yeah, I don't love O. I, I thought don't you love would o. be a Mm-mm. don't love O. Oh my God, I thought you would be with me on that. That no. is a, one of the biggest bangers of my high school experience. Period. No, I mean, as we're going down the list here. Stand Up, Southern Hospitality, those songs to me are all much better than O. To be clear, like this is um, this is Ciara's song, right? Yeah, so it's yeah, not yeah, even his song. Ciara but then talk. the one that he throws, that's not Nelly's song either. So that's why I'm not docking any points for them. Because like if they threw like a, a hey, I was you know in a remix of this song, and somebody else throws one of their own bangers, I'd give the credit to the person whose song it was. Me too. But this is both one that they were featured on. But I don't know, Michelle. Like, I'm stunned by uh, by this because this to me was as big of a blow as there was of any of the songs that were paired together. Okay, tweet us at Saruti at M Smallman. Which song do you like better, O or Nasty Girl? Because I think a lot of people might agree with yeah. me that definitely didn't get their due on Twitter. Okay, so listen. Actually, the more I'm looking, <laughs> the more I'm looking at this. I respect that in round ten, Ludacris went with another a remix. Nelly countered with a remix. Round 11, we're just going to ignore a thousand stacks. I didn't even know that was a Nelly song. Round 12 is, if we're talking about like high school Saruti tracks and probably high school Michelle tracks, this here is as hard of two songs. You put these up together, you still got to choose one. I still don't even know if I have the answer because, and that is the Jagged Edge, Nelly, Where the Party At, which, I mean, my God, again, that thing comes <laughs> on and how do you not feel like it? You just, you, I mean, you're just in an incredible mood as soon as that song comes on. Like, you could be having the worst day of your life and that song comes on. You're like, I feel like I'm just at a pool party, hanging out with my friends. Totally. Up, we're sipping on some Virgin, uh, yeah, some Virgin Shirley Temples. Maybe we'll slip a little bit of drink in there. Who knows? <laughs> and that goes up against Usher, Ludacris, and Little John's Yeah, which, by the way, I kind of think that song has become a little bit annoying over time but i want to go back into like real time when that song came out oh. it was it was the crossover that was i mean it was the best song of I, I would say the decade right i think that was the song of the decade like everyone knew that song whether you like rap whether you didn't like rap it was just on every station it still played to this day i think i prefer where the party at now like you know 20 years later or yeah so. he has played out but you have to but you have to give yeah the credit because that song was the ultimate banger um, when did that come out? Probably like 2004. I don't even know when that came out. I was in high school. I just can't overestimate the amount of weight that that song had when it came out. That song, when it came out, I can only describe it as like a natural disaster. Nothing was going to stop it. Absolutely nothing. Here's the thing about, yeah, all you hear is the first three notes of the song and everyone is throwing their drinks out to get up to dance. You don't even need to get into the hook. It's just those first three that... Uh, 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 and you're like, okay, done. See you later. Stop the conversation. Yeah, it's on. <laughs> and you know what? It was, oh, so I was right. It was 2004 it came out. And in during that time, I mean, you, that's the height of Lil John, like the height of Lil John. Before he got annoying, and right when everyone was starting to absolutely love him, you've got Usher, who I believe had just come out with, what was it, uh, Confessions Part 2 or whatever, which was another incredible album. So he's at, like, the height of his power. And then Ludacris, same thing. Like, you had three guys that were absolutely peaking at the right time. It was basically like the rap version of the Golden State Warriors in a way because they were just an unstoppable trio of people put together that were just going to basically lay waste to everyone in their path. 
that was the perfect song and trio of artists put anything up against that i don't know how you deal with it but i will say again to this day like i think i'd rather listen to where the party at yeah. or where the party at i just think that song is more fun now in 2020 and 31 year old steve but i will say 15 year old steve you couldn't beat yet also shout out jagged edge i mean i love jagged edge who doesn't who, does, who doesn't love jagged edge i'm just gonna isolate three rounds after this that i thought were the toughest to judge okay Grills versus stand-up, I thought, was an incredible battle. Uh, Stand-up, I think, and a a landslide for me, sorry. That song is awesome. Grills to me. Grills is okay. Oh, hear me out. I think Grills is a better song than stand-up, but I think Paul Wall makes Grills. The Paul Wall verse makes Grills. (laughs) So I respect Nelly for playing it, even though he got outdone on his own song. What a do, baby. It's an Iceman Paul Wall. Everybody can rap every part of Paul Wall's verse on that song didn't we declare paul wall underrated on this podcast i'm pretty sure we've done that maybe it was it was exclusively when he's featured not his own music yes yes when he's featured in a remix or a song as the secondary guy he is incredibly underrated paul wall and drive slow kanye one of one of my favorite kanye songs of all time yeah this is a very pro paul wall podcast shout out paul wall Wall people big big paul wall people next round air force ones versus southern hospitality i thought was very difficult one of my favorite lunatic songs of all time is air force ones that song brings back so many memories and the entire video was peak st louis it was shot in the loop university city where nelly's from on del mar where they were going in and out of stores and they have all sorts of st louis athletes in it when i first started working with demarco far shout out d far when i met him he had won a Super Bowl with the Rams, okay? Super Bowl champion, Rams player. And I was like, yo, what was it like being in the Air Force Ones video? And he was like, what? He's like, everyone wants to talk to me about the Rams. And I was like, no, no. You, I will never forget, were wearing chocolate brown velour jumpsuit and you were in the Air Force Ones video. And that was so cool. And he was like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe that that's what you think is cool, but I'll take it. So I, maybe out of nostalgia, am going Air Force Ones, but no disrespect to Southern hospitality. Um, I didn't love Air Force Ones as much as you did. The nostalgia factor is there, but Southern Hospitality for me, that's I think that's what I think of when I think of Ludacris. Like you said before with um, your fantasy, right? I think it's Southern Hospitality for me, so I had to give it, but it's a slight edge. Okay, so let's just run through this because we're getting short on time. Round 17, EI versus Moneymaker, I thought was the toughest battle of the entire thing. Like, honestly, really, another really difficult one. Really difficult because... We always say country grammar is the song that you think of when you think of Nelly, but to me, EI is the jam. We talk about those first three bars of yeah, and you put your drink down and you're done. When I hear the opening for EI, it's like, oh my God. It's like you black out for a second and you're like, where am I? I'm at the best party I've ever been at. I want to say that's the best song on the whole album of country grammar, but then I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, it depends on what mood I'm in. But I, like, that is truly one of the best tracks on that entire album. I'm with you here. EI and a slight edge over Moneymaker. Moneymaker actually is kind of an overrated song. I don't know if I love that that much. Uh, I don't know. Took your mama nine months to make you. I don't know. The way he, the, his cadence in that song is so good. But anyway. It is. It is, but eh. A slight edge to EI. So... Nelly made some questionable choices. We don't need to go into every single round because I'm sure people are already like enough on this battle. You guys have talked about this for a good like 22 minutes, but it was so fun. It was such a fun Saturday night to hear those songs back to back. I am sad that Nelly didn't have better choices in some of the rounds because I think he, as we're going through this, it was obviously very close for a lot of the rounds and Nelly could have come away with the victory. But I think overall, Ludacris came away with the W and it was upsetting. It was. And 
I didn't watch and experience it live like you did with the internet issues. I just kind of saw it and followed it a little bit on Twitter, and everybody was sort of making fun of Nelly. But <laughs> when I look back and was looking through the track listings, I'm, go, I'm like, how the hell is Nelly going to take this? What is Ludacris doing when I'm reading through the tracks? Yeah, and then right. about round seven or so, it completely flipped the switch, and like basically Ludacris just dominated from there. But I will say, all right, if you're out, perfect party, all your friends are there, you're at a sick venue, and you get one musical act to sort of headline your personal party, right? All the details are yours. You're going with Nelly, right? Over over any rapper? Ooh. Now, okay, what kind of party is this? Is this small Minchella type vibe? Like we're going full concert festival type thing where everyone is there just to hear this person play? Or is it like a no, pool, is it a pool party? Like what are we doing here? I sort of picture like the party from old school, like Mitchapalooza, yes. kind of like that. Okay. Oh and now God. they had Snoop Dogg. You, you get whoever you want to be in the Snoop Dogg role. Oh, wow. That is a dream. And if that ever happens, it will be the best day of my life. We'll call, yeah, we'll call it Michelle Palooza. Shout out to my future husband for my 40th birthday. Make this happen. Um, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. And I'm sure it won't cost you anything to execute this. <laughs> God, that is such a good question. And I think, yes, that I would go Nelly. I will provide the set list, though. Like, I'm not leaving it up to his discretion, as we've learned on Saturday night. I could really pass on Just a Dream. I don't need Just a Dream or Heart of a Champion played at my Yeah, but you know what? I'll I'll even let you make the playlist. You control everything. It's Nelly, and you get to control the playlist. Then you get the best bangers, whatever ones you want. God, that is such a difficult question. Who else is in the running? So I don't want him personally to be there, but Kanye, if you went full catalog, Kanye, I think you could go up against anybody. I was going to say that too. I was going to say, if you give, if I get to pick the songs, he doesn't get to be really weird and annoying like the new Kanye. Yeah, he can't talk. And like, doesn't go off on random tangents. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want any politics. Yeah, but he's also like cool. He's like early Kanye. If I can get early, if I can get like, yeah. But here's the shitty thing though, is I want, well, I don't know if you want the vibe of uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. So I, I would almost say like everything up until beautiful dark twisted fantasy. If you get me those first three albums, so what was it college dropout, graduation, and late registration? Mm-hmm. You give me that version of Kanye. That's probably my answer, but I don't think that's realistic. Lil Wayne is another one that's in there. Now we saw Lil Wayne live. Yeah. It was obviously incredible, incredible. unbelievable concert. Incredible. But sometimes like there's a little bit of counting crows factor with him, as I was talking <laughs> about before. Like you just don't know what state he's going to be in. So yeah. in a perfect world, he's completely fine and things are good and he's playing his bangers. That's a great one. Um, so those two would probably be my top two. Right. You know what's sneaky being there too, though, Michelle? Who? It's T.I. T.I. would be in there. Love T.I. Here's the thing about Tunchi. You're right. He's a wild card, right? You don't really know what you're going to get if he's the one that arrives. And again, you'd have to pick the set list because I don't need any of the anything that's really happened with him in the past three years. I don't work nope. out on that front. I'm going to go with Nelly because I know the catalog will be there. He obviously re- represents the STL, and I love that. And I will say this about Nelly on the Instagram Live. Nelly was dancing. He was drinking. He was lighting up. He was eating chicken wings. He enjoyed the hell out of himself. Ludacris was sitting there with a smile on his face, being very patient, and certainly had a good time. And he was so gracious and was shouting everyone out and was so cool to Nelly. And I respected the hell out of Ludacris. But I feel like if Nelly was the headliner at your Saruti Palooza, he would have a great time. And you know the lunatics are coming. You know the lunatics are going to make an appearance. So you get that additional bonus. Yeah, but if I had to pick between the two, it's Ludacris pretty clearly because Ludacris makes club bangers. That's what he does. Like, you're right. Like, Nelly has more range, maybe, and he's able to kind of slow it down a little bit more, like, for some early Drake stuff. Like, he was, like, kind of doing that a little bit before Drake even ever did that. But, oh, yeah. But Ludacris, if you're talking about a party, 
he's unbeatable. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, he's the party banger rapper. That's who he is. Yeah. It's kind of hard to argue. So now that I've crowned Ludacris the goat of the party genre rapping types, let's uh, talk about the actual goat of the NBA. I wish I had the club. Because that was an amazing transition. <laughs> Props you like to that? You. I What's mean, up? God, it's not, like you, it's, not like, it's not like you're a professional host or anything. But wow, that was very good. Okay. So yeah, Saturday night I was bummed out because Nelly dropped the ball. And then Sunday night I was bummed out because the last dance ended. And now we have nothing to look forward to. We do not have one thing to look forward to now. And that sucks. No, okay. you're, not, you're not pumped about the Lance Armstrong doc? Well, I am very pumped about Long Gone Summer, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa doc, because I think that's going to be amazing. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, hearing Lance Armstrong talk about what a dick he was to everybody, you know, while he was cheating. I mean, it'll be interesting, but probably not something that I will stop my entire day for like I did the last dance. Yeah, the last dance obviously concluded on Sunday and I liked it. I think everyone calling it the greatest documentary ever, the greatest sports doc ever. Like, I don't think it was. I think OJ Made in America was still better. I think there were a few that I've seen. I think there were a few 30 for 30s, you know, hour long ones that I thought were a little bit better. But it's because it was Jordan. It's because of what it was. It's because we don't have sports going on. It was like the one thing we could all look forward to. I think people really obviously rallied around this thing. And I had a great time watching it. But the one thing that I took out of this was, I mean, it was basically a Michael Jordan propaganda piece, if we're being honest. You can call it a documentary all you want, but it's Michael Jordan telling all the good stories about Michael Jordan, essentially. And that's fine. I had a great time watching it. I I feel like people are acting like this is all of a sudden, you know, drop the mic on him being the GOAT, which, again, I think he is the GOAT. But it's like, yeah, but it was a propaganda piece made by Michael Jordan. What did you think it was going to be any different than what we saw? Yeah, that's the frustrating part because, especially because it was billed differently, you know, when he first was being interviewed about all of this he was essentially saying no one's gonna like me after this and I'm really nervous about it I know and as it was going on I'm like what are you talking about you're talking about how your drive to win was so all-consuming and severe that you push people in ways that they didn't want to be pushed and it resulted in a championship it resulted in multiple championships it resulted in a dynasty and while certainly I think, I mean, poor Scott Burrell, my God, the guy got abused on a, da- on a daily basis. But while I watched parts of it and I thought, wow, Jordan's a dick, it didn't make me like him any less. It made me respect him that he no, was willing yeah. to hold others around him accountable and, and push them to be better. And did it work for some people? Yeah. Did they walk away thinking that he sucked? Yeah. Did they walk away champions? Also, yeah. So I don't think anybody really left that saying, wow, I like Michael Jordan a whole lot less than I did five weeks prior. Totally agree. Unless like you were already a Jordan hater, which I don't know why there would be those out there. Like, I don't know how you hate Michael Jordan. Yes, he's difficult. And here's the thing, too, is I'm sure they didn't get into a lot of the actual fights that happened and the things that he did that were actually dick moves. Because, again, it was made by Michael Jordan. He had pretty much creative control over a lot of it, or at least what was in and what was out. So we didn't get to see a lot of that. We saw a little like minor controversy. We saw controversies involving Dennis Rodman and other people, but not necessarily Michael. Shocker, we didn't get to see anything from the Wizard years or him being the president. <laughs> of the uh, of the uh, the Bobcats slash Hornets, which has been horrifically bad. Right. Um, but again, yes, it's a Michael Jordan prophecy. You're not going to see the bad parts of that. I have a couple things that I wrote down. I'm going to run through them really quickly. Okay. I, they, they were like my, my major notes from the last two episodes. First one is Jerry Reinsdorf's explanation for why he, he had final say. He's the owner of the freaking team. You're the guy that can say, no, Jerry Krause, I know you want to rebuild, but we're going to run this thing back and try to win seven. 
That was the best excuse he can come up with in however many, what is it, 20 years, over 20 years of having to figure out and they finally make a documentary about Michael Jordan. That's what you say as your defense of why you didn't bring this thing back and try to win a seventh. That, to me, is indefensible. We started this Last Dance conversation weeks ago on the podcast, and what did I say? Hold Jerry Reinsdorf accountable. Why is he skating Mm -hmm. by? And even today, I'm reading things, I'm watching things, it still doesn't seem like people are holding Reinsdorf accountable. But... Did he want to pay Pippen that money? Probably not. Did he want to pay Jordan that money thinking that maybe he was on his way to a decline? Probably not. Did he want to pay Phil Jackson the money? Probably not. So, yeah, he leaned on his loyalty to Jerry Krause and let Jerry Krause be villainized. But if you're the owner of the team, your team is relevant, and the money you're generating from ticket sales and merchandise and playoffs should surpass what you would get if you were to rebuild and save some money. I understand logically how Jerry Krause and the way he presented it, Ryan Storff could be like, yep, I get what you're saying. Let's rebuild. But at the end of the day, I would rather lose with Michael Jordan than take years for a rebuild to potentially win. Which they're still rebuilding. I know. So it's like it hasn't really worked. Like I understand the philosophy there, but you didn't have to bring the entire team back. Championship teams change year over year. Like there are a few pieces here that, that leave and there are a few that stay, right? You could have brought Bill back, Michael and Scotty. You could have probably let Dennis Rodman go because he was kind of like a shell of himself in some ways at that point anyway. If Steve Kerr gets a huge contract somewhere else, you let Steve Kerr go, that's fine. Bring back the core of Scotty, Michael, and Phil Jackson. Just bring those guys back, and I'm sure they would have done it, and I'm sure Michael Jordan would have been able to convince those two guys to come back because he's Michael freaking Jordan, and he has that kind of sway. So I just couldn't believe that that was the excuse that he gave. And then obviously Jordan's like response to watching the video and hearing Jerry Reinsdorf say that was hilarious, too, of him just being like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Right. I would have taken less. We would have taken less. We would have figured it out. And I don't know. So that was one thing that just was incredibly stupid to me. The other thing was Pizzagate. Now, everybody was talking about Pizzagate because – we all thought it was the flu game, right, where Michael Jordan isn't feeling well and ends up getting a victory there. Um, what was that, game five? I forget exactly when it was. In Utah. Mm-hmm. I just do not buy, because now we found out all of a sudden that it's food poisoning. It came from a pizza thing, and the trainer, Tim, Tim Grover, is like, oh, you know, five guys came to the door. I knew something was fishy, and Michael was the only one that ate the pizza. There's zero chance. I'm willing to say this. There is zero chance that some random pizza parlor in Utah – gave Michael Jordan food poisoning on purpose. There's just no way that's possible. Because there's no way that Michael Jordan called up the pizza place and said, hey, I'm Michael Jordan. I want to order a pizza to this room in this hotel. Michael Jordan would never be making that call. Why would Tim Grover or anyone that's ordering the pizza even mention that it was Michael Jordan in the first place? There's just no way that you could be able to give someone food poisoning on that type of notice. So I'm calling BS on that. I'm not saying he didn't get food poisoning. It's totally, he might have accidentally gotten food poisoning, but there's no way there's some major conspiracy theory that some pizza parlor in Utah, in Salt Lake City, gave Michael Jordan food poisoning on purpose. There's no way. So I walked away from Pizzagate with more questions than answers, just like you, and here are some of the questions I wrote down. How would the pizza place know that it was going to Michael Jordan? Why yep. would the pizza delivery guys get to the door of the room? If you order food to a hotel, you have to get it in the lobby. There's no way that you're going to say, yeah, come into the hotel, go up to floor whatever, and come to the suite where Michael Jordan is hanging out at 3.30 in the morning. There's no way that they would have allowed random guys to go up to the level, uh, whatever floor that Michael Jordan was on. There's absolutely no way the hotel would have allowed that. Number three, if Michael Jordan is staying at a hotel— during the NBA playoffs, and he's with all of these people, team officials, you do not think that his trainer or someone 
Obviously, the hotel is aware that the team is staying there and is aware that Michael Jordan is staying there. You don't think that they could call up and, and say, hey, can we get something made in the kitchen for Michael? He's hungry. You don't think that that's yep. something that's possible? Totally agree. Then, again, how would they poison the pizza? I don't really know all the logistics of that. Steve, as you know, I am also a food poisoning survivor. We talked about this. That's I, true. I am Hashtag a survivor. survivor. Hashtag survivor. You're brave. Thank you. I know. It's hard for me to even recount this, but we know it was touch and go there for me for a second. But when I recounted my food poisoning story here on this podcast, it is the sickest I have ever been. I have had the flu. I have had food poisoning, and I know the flu varies, and some people get it much worse. Food poisoning comes fast, and it comes furious. I was so violently ill, I couldn't even get up off the bathroom floor. I literally thought I was going to have to go to the emergency room. My friends had to carry me through the airport because I did not think I was going to make it. To think that he could have food poisoning and play that game, if in fact he had food poisoning, it's the single greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of sports. Because most people that get totally food poisoning, they're debilitated by it. It's not like, oh, I feel nauseous. I have a stuffy head. I have a fever. It is, if I turn left slightly, I'm going to throw up. I could not agree more. But here's the thing that, that's confusing me. I don't know what the incentive would be for them to lie about that. Unless they're just trying to like make up this tall tale about the myth of Michael Jordan, that Utah fans tried to poison him and he was stronger than that or whatever. I don't know. I don't know who's really? there to benefit from that. Oh, come on. You don't think someone who, as we've seen over the past five weeks, who carefully crafted and curated his image and was so protective over it, because a lot of people think it was the brown bottle flu, was going to come out and say, hey, I really chugged a shit Maybe. ton of Hennessy and I was vomiting all night because I was wasted. <laughs> and then I went out and had that game. For him to overcome the flu, to overcome food poisoning, Listen. it's heroic. For him to overcome a hangover is a mess of his own making. No one's going to. I would respect him so much more, though, if it was the if it was the brown bottle hangover game than it was the food poisoning game. That would be so bad. I feel that to me would be, would would increase the myth of Michael Jordan even more if you won a game with a massive <laughs> hangover. I mean, that to me is the goat thing is so much debatable now. It's it's not even debatable if that was the case. If he just had a hungover, if he was hungover and ended up doing that. And think about how disrespected you feel if you were on that Utah team. Not only was he so unconcerned about us that he was pounding booze the night before, but he drank himself into a, a violent hangover and still kicked our ass. Yeah, like that's a bummer for you. We, we can't even be hungover, Michael Jordan. What the hell? <laughs> All right, two things left. I'm glad we settled the bullshit push-off call on Brian Russell because it was not a push-off. It was not a push-off. Bob Costett said it, said it perfectly. His hand was on his back, but that doesn't mean he pushed. Brian Russell was already going over. He was already falling to the ground. And for anyone to use that as, a, as an anti-Jordan argument, be like, oh, he pushed off, and that's BS, like it's a clash of Jordan. You're just a Jordan hater. So that, I'm glad we cleared that up. And the last thing that I have here is just about the doc overall. I don't know if there's any other athlete that would generate the type of buzz that Michael Jordan generated just by having a documentary about them. And again, I, I don't think it was the greatest documentary of all time, but it was a Michael Jordan doc and everyone wanted to be in it because everyone wanted a part of watching Michael Jordan and reliving that sort of history. Cause a lot, for a lot of us, it was so nostalgic. The only other person I could think of that would have that kind of reaction to me. And you tell me if I'm wrong is Tiger Woods. I think there's three people that would generate as much buzz. It's going to be Brady Belichick because that's yep. that's a dynasty and there's conflict there and there's 
every celebrity that's ever touched foot in Boston is going to want to be in that. Definitely Tiger Woods because of his profound greatness and obviously the rise and fall. The and you scandal. Know, the scandal, yeah. the salacious factor too. And I really think Kobe Bryant because it's Kobe, it's Shaq, it's Phil. You have the tragic ending. It's L.A., it's, it's the Lakers. I think the Kobe doc will, when it happens, generate a ton of buzz. I think you're right on the Brady Belichick one. Like in 20 years, if we finally get everyone sits down at a table and for a tell-all of what really happened Mm -hmm. when he left for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, could be interesting in an own version of the Patriots' quote-unquote final dance, even though theirs didn't end on a happy high note. But the only other athlete that I think you can say, and I wasn't obviously we weren't around for the Muhammad Ali era, but the only other athlete that generated that type of buzz and that type of adoration and that type of marketing worldwide, other than Michael Jordan, was Tiger Woods. I totally agree. I think Tiger Woods was so transcendent. He did for golf what Michael Jordan did in a lot of ways for the NBA because you heard David Stern talk about it. You heard so many people talk about the fact that Jordan took the NBA from a major brand into a global brand. And I think that's what Tiger Woods did in a lot of respects for golf. He opened up golf to an audience that didn't necessarily exist before. So I cannot wait for that Tiger Woods documentary. The thing that I hope about the Brady Belichick doc or the Tiger Woods doc, and obviously the Kobe doc would be from different vantage points since Kobe's no longer with us. But I hope that Tiger is very open and I hope Brady and Belichick aren't protecting anything and that they're open about the struggles in their relationship and what really went down there because while I appreciated Jordan's honesty on a lot of things there's no way he was going to co-sign on this being done if people were like Jordan did this Jordan did that there was really nothing Mm -hmm. negative about Michael Jordan in the entire documentary and I just wish that we would have maybe seen some conflicting opinions, some people that didn't like him or didn't appreciate him. Because even the people that were like, yeah, Jordan was a really tough teammate said, but it worked. We won. Even them acknowledging that he was difficult to coexist with, it came full circle in them winning and they acknowledged that. So I just would have liked to hear some counterpoints on some things. And again, that documentary doesn't get made. That footage doesn't get used if not in that way that they used it because Michael had basically full autonomy on how it was used and whether or not it was ever even going to see the light of day. So in order to get that made, it needed to be that way, which is fine. It's okay. I'd rather have the doc the way it is now than not have one at all. But we're just acknowledging that there are some inconsistencies and imperfections. Like we didn't hear from his ex-wife, which would have been kind of interesting to hear from. She was with him the entire time during that time. She's got, what, I think three kids with him as well. Not maybe they maybe they didn't want to portray that side, not not even just the divorce side of just his family side, because you really didn't see any of his family other than his mom and his dad, um, or at least interviewing, it was his mom, um, other than his two sons, what was it, I think, in the last episode. So it was kind of like his his family. Yeah, his daughter. And and it wasn't really any part of the the other nine episodes. It was kind of interesting how how they did that. Again, I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out that, you know, it would have been cool to sort of see that aspect of it as well. Um, And I thought it was interesting, too. I did read that both Malone and Russell were asked to be a part of the documentary and both declined. So really? I did want to hear I did want to hear from both of them, but there is actually a legitimate reason. Either I guess they didn't want to talk. I don't know if there's bad blood or whatever. But actually, I thought it was really cool, sneaky, that a lot of these guys are so humble after their losses. They'll go up to Jordan and shake his hand like Reggie Miller did. It. We saw Carl yep. Malone do it. I think he went on the bus afterwards and shook all those guys' hands after losing to the second straight for the second straight year to Michael in the finals in heartbreaking fashion like that, like on the shot. It was cool to see them get on the bus and just slap high five and say, hey, man. The, uh, the underrated part of the entire doc was um, Michael Jordan, by the way, saying, you bitch, fuck you, to, uh, <laughs> to Larry Bird. We didn't even talk about that. That was one of the funniest <laughs> things I've literally ever seen in any docu- uh, documentary ever. <laughs> literally. Fuck you, you bitch. 
as he's shaking his hand and dapping him up. Like, just if you were just looking at the action and then you separately heard what he said, it's kind of like caption this. If you could have captioned that, no way would you have ever guessed that that's what he was saying to Larry. No. <laughs> no, that would have been like one of those Mad Libs things where you put that in there and it's supposed to be funny, but it's not real, but it actually was real. So um, funny. That was incredible. I also hope that we can put to bed the heat that some current NBA players get for being bros now that we've watched this documentary when you do see that Jordan was kicking it with Danny Ainge before big games and that he was down with the opposition. It's different, though, because I think that they were all, like, competitively charged. I don't think any of those guys were like, hey, let's team up and play together. You know what I mean? Like, they were friendly, and that was okay. I don't have a problem with any of these guys being friends. I think this whole thing of, like, oh, you should be, like, a fan, and you should hate the opposing team or hate your rival. Like, it's just not how guys like that think. So I've never subscribed to that theory. But I think the problem now is that all these guys just want to tag team up and play with each other, which, you know, is what it is. Um, and it creates this constant thing of musical chairs for teams every offseason of, like, who's going to who's going to ask out now? Um, whereas I think I don't think Jordan and any of those guys in that era would necessarily do that. They all wanted to beat Jordan. They didn't want to join Jordan. So I, I understand what you're saying, but I see it a little bit differently. I agree, but I think that the mentality has changed with a lot of players. Now it's just ring chasing. You know, now it's just okay. I want. He created that, and he, he kind of created, created that. that in exactly, a way. he, he kind of did, and so. There's always going to be generationally, oh, this generation was better, that generation was better. And I don't expect players to hate one another the way that fans hate the opposing team. And I just thought a lot of current NBA players did catch heat for that. I think of the banana boat, right? You know, it's like, oh, what are these guys doing, vacationing together, whatever. But then it's like, okay, so you're coming at it from the 90s era was better. Jordan would have never done that. Okay, but he was, you know, playing golf with Danny Ainge. You know, he maybe he wasn't on the water with him on a banana boat, but he, he was kicking it with the opposition before a very important game. So... I just think that kind of negates that argument a little bit. Yeah, and speaking of that, one of the things that kind of annoyed me was, I get it, we brought the term nostalgia on this podcast like a million times, but watching that 90s brand of basketball, that's kind of what everyone looks at as like the best version of the NBA, right? And that's fine. I happen to disagree, but I don't knock anybody that thinks that way. But I think there are a lot of inconsistencies with how people remember what that basketball was like back then. I mean, when you've got final scores of like 75-71, and the pace is super slow, and the defense is... By the way, the defense in that era is so incredibly overrated. The best defense in the NBA back then would be the worst defense in the NBA now. Defense now is infinitely more complicated than it has ever been. Offensive skill levels in the NBA are infinitely higher than they've ever been. So when you say, oh, there's no defense in the NBA now, that's actually just not true at all. The offensive skill is just ridiculously high, and... Defensive schemes now are so complex that they would run circles around defensive schemes in the 90s. People just think the defense in the 90s was good because you're allowed to like forearm check and clothesline people, which isn't actually playing defense. It's just actually kind of dirty basketball. So I'm not going to knock anyone for saying that that was the golden era of the NBA because Michael Jordan was obviously unbelievable and it was just like a really cool time to be a fan. But I'm just not sure that the defense back then was so unbelievably incredible. It was just more physical. That's all it was. You were allowed to basically beat the shit out of people when they would go to the basket. And I just don't consider that great defense i just consider that kind of being a bully and that's the way the, the league was allowed to play back then and that's fine but i don't know i just feel like everyone looks back and goes oh there's no defense in the nba now which couldn't be further from the truth but sorry rant over 
and that's our that's our defensive quota here on small talk yeah, that, for the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's talk defense on small talk. <laughs> talking defense on honestly, we should do a feature called talking defense. I would love that. <laughs> Where you just rant on defense. Well, it's just annoying. Jordan would be awesome in today's day, but you know who else would be fucking awesome? Kevin Durant, yeah. LeBron, like all these dudes. It would be awesome in the nineties. What the hell was anybody in the nineties going to do with a seven foot? snipe shooter like Kevin Durant. We're going to forearm check him. Oh, cool. He's going to shoot over the top of you every time. And you know what I think was funny too, was they did that whole thing where like they were um, doing the shooting competition from the elbow there, like yeah. the line in the court. It was yeah. probably like a 40 foot jump shot. There are dudes in the NBA that can hit that shot at 40% a clip now. So like, that's how much the NBA has changed. It's just unbelievable to me. That's how highly skilled the guys are now compared to back then. Yeah. The Warriors were like laughing when they watched that, right? <laughs> Yeah, like Steph hits that consistently 40% easily. Damian Lillard, 40% easily. There are dudes that just take that shot. It's an efficient shot. Meanwhile, they treat that like it was a trick shot back in the 90s. To your point about defense, though, isn't that why the NFL was king and continues to be king for so long? Is because we love violence. As a society, as a sports fan, we love the big hits. We love the physicality. We love the brutality of sports. We love the skill. We love the fact that Michael Jordan can dunk and jump. And the things that he can do physically, we cannot do. But I think part of that is enduring pain. We look at guys like Deacon Jones and Jack Youngblood and we're like, Jack Youngblood broke his leg and we played a game. You took mm-hmm. Bob Gibson, broke his leg and he, he continued to pitch. People revere guys that are able to compete under the toughest of circumstances. You're 100% correct, but I firmly believe, and I'm glad they talked about this in the doc as well, And as far as like theories and things like that of why he took that two-year hiatus. Playing the way that Michael Jordan was playing at that time, it was unsustainable for anyone's body, even Michael Jordan's body. So like when he took that two years off to go play baseball and sort of get his mind and his body right, that was so necessary because of how difficult it was and how much pressure he, cause he was playing 82 games year in, year out. He's going to the finals every year. He's playing over a hundred games a year, basically for what five, six, seven straight years. Um, and he's playing against these physical defenses that takes its toll on you. And these guys had shorter careers back then. Whereas now I think I'd rather enjoy LeBron, KD, um, you know, name it, Steph Curry, whoever, I'll take a little bit of load management if I get another couple of years out of these guys because they're not getting their ass kicked on a night at night out base. You could see it in Jordan just how physically spent oh, he was. Yeah. It's so cool that they talked about just how he didn't have anyone sort of he felt like he had reached the apex and there was no other predator there that could take him out. He needed that motivation. He didn't have the motivation anymore because he was at the he was at the top of the mountain. And I do think about that back in the nineties. And I'm not again, I'm not this isn't I'm not bringing up these points about Jordan. I I love Jordan. I'm a Jordan guy. I feel like I'm stupid even having to say that. But I do think that there are like some things that I wish they would have explored in the doc a little bit more about like he never really had like a, a proper foe. Whereas I think in the 80s, it was, you know, Bird and Magic. Um, after that, you know, it was, I guess Kobe and Shaq didn't really have it either. But then after that, like obviously they split up and the league was a little bit more parody. You had the Spurs, but the Spurs weren't like – there wasn't like a superstar thing. It was like more of a team collective situation. And LeBron has had the Warriors um, throughout his career as well as like to, to go up against. Jordan really never had a worthy foe other than the Pistons. Because let's be honest, that Knicks team that everyone likes to glorify in the early 90s, early to mid 90s, they were not as good as everyone was making them out to be. The Pacers team was good, but I don't think that they were even remotely in the class of those Bulls as well. As much as I want to say my Orlando Magic, the Magic <laughs> should have been that team, but because of obviously Shaq leaving and Penny's injury, it just never came to fruition. I truly believe like the late 90s into the 2000s, if Penny and Shaq had stayed together, they might have been the version of the Lakers that we saw 
uh, with Kobe and Shaq. But, you know, that's just how things are, and it didn't work out that way. But Because I wouldn't even say Carl Malone or Charles Barkley. They just they were always kind of like a step below. They were a step below Jordan. That's not no knock to them because Jordan's obviously great. But he, just, he never had that equal foe to go up against kind of year in, year out, and make it interesting like it was in the 80s or a little bit like it is today. I loved listening to Reggie Miller talk about those battles, those Pacers-Bulls battles. Oh, yeah, Black Jesus. I was just going to – one of my favorite lines is how we talk about Jordan and the way that he was able to manifest even the most microscopic slight and turn it into a mountain that he carried with him until he exacted his revenge. And it reminded me of Billy Madison, you know, where the guy has the lipstick and he crosses out the name on the list. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. That's, to me, Jordan. He had a list, and he would just cross Mm -hmm. names off the list. And when Reggie Miller said, oh, this is the guy who walks on water, this is him, not impressed. And then he was like, oh, okay, I will will unleash black Jesus on you. I want to go back and rewatch it and count how many times Jordan says, and then it became personal for me. Or talked about how, okay, now you want to give him the MVP? Okay, personal for me. He made everything personal. And I keep coming back to this as a totally pedestrian person I cannot imagine what that is like I just keep thinking about how exhausting it has to be to be Michael Jordan all the time and how oh yeah not only are you dealing with the brand of Michael Jordan and all these other things that you have going on outside of basketball you have your daily basketball obligations you have your legacy that you're thinking about you have oh I don't know a wife and three children you have all of these balls in the air at all times that you're trying to jump And I think the one takeaway that I got from the last two episodes, because I just kept thinking, how does someone maintain this? How do you maintain this level of ferocity and competitive drive and greatness? And to be able to say, oh, I am incredibly sick. I'm going to push through it and I'm going to dominate. Oh, just all these things. But when they talked about the separator for him is that he could be present in the moment, I thought, that, yep. is, that is the separator. Because if you think yeah. about your legacy or you think about the next game or you think about what am I going to do tomorrow, you can't be as great as you can be in the moment. And it's human nature to think past right now. We're always thinking about what's next on the list. It's very rare to live in the moment. And the fact that he could do that unquestioned is really, I think, what allowed him to be so hyper-competitive at, at all times is because he wasn't thinking, okay, if I play X amount of games and X amount of minutes, I'm going to be exhausted by game X. He wasn't doing that mental math. He was just thinking, what do I need to do right now to be the best I can be right now? And I really do think that is a superpower. Yeah, it was. I forget the guy what the guy said because it was the guy that said like his greatest gift and his greatest ability wasn't the fact that he could jump high or shoot a basketball. It was that he was just able to be incredibly present all the time yeah. and locked in, and that was really cool to hear. But the whole time, I couldn't help but think: Would Jordan be the same guy if he had grown up? Say he played from like two thousand. Say I don't. Like, everyone wants to do the LeBron comparison. I don't. I mean, it's fine. I like. I like some of it. I don't like some of it. But say Jordan came in the league in two thousand and three, like LeBron did, or two thousand four. I think two thousand three, right? Say he did that. Would he be the same guy in this era of the social media, of all these other things, of sports becoming a little bit political with guys taking stance? Like, would he be the same exact guy now as he was able to be in the nineties when less things were asked of him? I don't know. And it's not a knock on him. I'm just different guys in different eras have to deal with different things. And Jordan didn't have to deal with a lot of that. He was able to just be like. I am the best basketball player on the earth and I'm just going to play basketball and that's all I care about. Can you kind of do that? Tim Duncan was 
a guy who kind of acted in the way that Jordan did. That's not not like on the court necessarily, but like didn't want to do a lot of interviews, didn't necessarily want to have a lot of branding things, and he was kind of like a, like the not an anonymous star, but he was he probably didn't get as much notoriety as, as he should have. If Jordan acted that way from like 2003 to now, how would we view an athlete who did that in today's day and age? I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question. That is a great question. And this is not a perfect comp, but I look at a guy like Mike Trout, who is unquestionably the best player in baseball and has been for a while. Now, he's obviously different from Jordan because he hasn't been to the postseason or won championships the way Jordan does. But here's a guy who doesn't do a lot of media. I mean, the most interesting thing we know about him is that he loves the weather. Every time the Angels are on Sunday Night Baseball, all they do is talk about how he loves the weather channel. He lives for storms and he's from Jersey and lives for Philly teams. I mean, you get nothing personality-wise out of him. You get nothing controversial out of him. And I know he plays for the Angels and he plays on the West Coast, so it's obviously different. But he doesn't get as much play. He doesn't get as much pub as he should. We don't talk about Mike Trout in the terms that we talk about a guy like Tom Brady in. Again, different sports, so it's not a perfect comp. I also think that the NBA is such a star-driven league that Jordan's what he did on the court night in, night in and night out spoke for itself. So I don't think he would necessarily have to do what he, the things that LeBron does now. And even now, I think that Jordan, if he had to do the social media thing, he would have somebody running that for him, right? He would have him sitting there being like, I love McDonald's and here's what I do. He was so <clears throat> careful, whereas LeBron is not careful. LeBron's out there doing Taco Tuesday and liking pics on Instagram. You know, he's going to do what he's going to do. LeBron is kind of careful, though. Like, if we're being honest, LeBron, I'm not trying to, like, knock LeBron, but like he typically takes the stance that's going to get him a lot of pass on the back. To your Mike Trout point, it was funny. I remember on Will's show, I forget why we did this, um, Will Kane show, we had, we called up a bunch of my buddies or random people that we knew and we asked them to name as many baseball players as they could. Like, we're just like <laughs> randomly, like, hey, all right, here, baseball, like name the baseball players that you know. And we wanted to see how many they got, they named before they got to Mike Trout. It was amazing the amount of baseball players. Like, they were naming, like, David Ortiz after he was retired before they named Mike Trout wow. in baseball. And these are, like, sports fans. They're not necessarily baseball fans, but they're sports fans. Like, they're my friends. And it was just, like, a social experiment to see, like, how off the radar Mike Trout was, despite the fact that he was the best player in baseball. And it was unbelievably eye-opening. I always say it's a sports crime that he plays for the Angels and that he gets buried in those West Coast times because two-thirds of the country, well, let's be honest, a third of the West Coast isn't watching him either. So this greatness, yeah. it's almost like a, it's almost like lore, like a, like an urban legend, the greatness of Mike Trout, because nobody really watches it or sees it. It's crazy. Yeah. But to kind of put a bow on all of this, when I bring up Taco Tuesday and when I bring up LeBron rapping in the car or rapping while he's working out and all, you know, him on the banana boat, all of these things, I bring up that point because I mean that LeBron is not careful as far as revealing his personality. LeBron will reveal to you who he really is as a person, what he thinks, what he feels, what it looks like inside of his home, you know, with his family on Taco Tuesday. And while you're, of course, getting, as we've talked about with social media, his version of what he wants you to see, you're still getting that glimpse. Whereas I think with Jordan, you didn't even in this documentary really get to see a lot of emotion from him. He talked about his father. I thought one of the yep. most moving parts is when he talked about how his, after his father was murdered, the security guard, Gus, became a father figure to him. And when Gus yep. got sick, you really saw his vulnerability and how, you know, as a human being, he connected with Gus and how they had that bond and how he took care of him. And then you, you read further about it and how he took care of medical expenses and was visiting him when he was sick. To me, that was 
probably the most humanizing thing we saw from Michael Jordan in 10 one-hour episodes. Obviously, you know he's, yep. he's going to be emotional about his father, but even then he put up this exterior of, I mean, okay, let's take him sobbing on the floor after he won, after his father was, was murdered, because that was the most raw thing in the entire documentary, and you really saw that release. But that was him in a moment where he didn't think the cameras were on, right? Like, he knew they were there, but he he was mm-hmm. in the training room with his face on the floor. He wasn't sitting there telling you about himself and about his life, and that is one aspect of this that I would have liked a little bit more is who is Michael Jordan as a guy, right? We know he's hyper competitive. We know he's, he's skilled and blessed beyond measure when it comes to his athletic abilities. We know that he likes to golf. We know he's a global icon. We know these, we know these facts about his family, but like, who is he when he goes home at night? Yeah. And I think NBA players and stars say they reveal that side out of themselves. And Jordan didn't do that. I don't think we're getting a Michael Jordan gym selfie uh, anytime soon on Instagram or Twitter, even if he grew up in this era. Uh, I just don't think that's who he was as a dude. And that's why I like him. I, I relate more to that. I like, I don't like all that other bullshit. I don't like the promoting yourself, social media, talking about my brand. Like, that's just not who I am. And so I related to Jordan in that way. And the ironic part is that Jordan has become the biggest sports brand there ever was and probably ever will be right. from, a, from a single player perspective. So I don't think you can necessarily do that today. I just think it was kind of the perfect storm of who he was in the time and like what, you know, just the era that he grew up in. But because um, I think now you just have to do all that bullshit. But I just love that Jordan, I feel like Jordan, even if he grew up now, would just be above all that crap. I think that he had to compartmentalize his personality to an extent and his family life to an extent to be able to be as great as he is. I don't think that, to your point, if he was in today's NBA, I don't know if it would have played out the same way because I think he had to keep so many things internal because they stoked that fire. You know, he had to keep that fire burning at all times. We wouldn't have seen a Michael Jordan Halloween party where people were stepping over Carl Malone's nope. grave. You know, he would have never, yeah, like, he would have hated him and seethed over Reggie Miller or whomever, but he would have never made it that public during that time. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Ugh, I'm sad it's over, Steve. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. We, well, I guess we, the only thing we have to look forward to now is whenever sports do come back, which by the way, Bundesliga returned uh, this weekend. What's up? Shout out Bundesliga. I didn't watch, but how was it? It was weird. The problem is there's, it's twofold. It's that there's no crowd. Well, it's threefold. There's no crowd, which is weirder than I actually thought it would be. I actually didn't think it would bother me, and it does. It kind of it kind of it feels like you're watching like a rec league of a bunch of random Joes just going out there, you know, chopping it up, um, like thirty some odd past their prime former college soccer players, but they're actually you no know, professional. They're really good, but it's just weird. Like the the environment is like it's off putting in a way, in a way that I didn't think it would be. The other thing is um, that now you're going to have all these sort of like Bundesliga wannabe experts because it's the only sport out there. And a lot of these are like gambling guys to be like, Oh, you know, take Paderborn or like take fire Leverkusen, you know, whatever. And you're like, dude, you have no idea. You just started following this league two days ago. Stop giving out advice. We don't know. None of us know. <laughs> um, and I forgot what the last thing I was going to bring up. Oh, the last thing I was going to bring up is you're not invested in any of these teams either, right? Like most people only know Bayern Munich, which is like the main team in Germany. They win all the titles. They're the best team. Some of you probably know BBB, Borussia Dortmund, which is like the secondary team. But after that, there's really not a lot of true, at least for me, and I'm a big soccer fan. Like, I know the teams, but I'm not, like, emotionally invested in any of these teams. So it's hard for me to just drop into a Bundesliga match and be really invested, in it, you know? Yeah. I am negative 20% invested in Bundesliga. <laughs> but you know what? I like the name. 
I think it's fun to say. And it's the, the most German thing ever. Bundesliga. But the the, the, Bundesliga. the longer we go down this road, Steve, I'm going to chill on weekends and watch Bundesliga. I can promise you that. <laughs> if baseball doesn't come back, if the NBA, the NHL doesn't come back, I will be so locked into Bundesliga. You will be so annoyed. I've decided that I'm a Wolfsburg fan, so you got to pick a team yeah. uh, first. So, I mean, if I was you, I'd probably pick a good team because that's usually more fun when that happens. So I'd pick Bayern or BBB, but I like, I picked Wolfsburg because I like their jerseys. Remember when you did this before and we chose Tottenham for me? <laughs> you Well, yeah. Premier yeah. League. And again, if this was the English Premier League or, like, for me, the Italian League because I follow that league as well, and if it was one of those leagues and they came back, I would be more into it. But the problem is I just don't – I didn't follow the Bundesliga. and Most people didn't follow the Bundesliga before this happened. So that is the only live sport that's really on television. Um, other than like the Korean League base- baseball league, which I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to watch. Um, we had golf it's, and it's just hard. It's really hard. But apparently, the EPL is going to maybe come back next month. Who knows? But again, we don't know when any of this stuff is actually going to happen for real. But let's hope it's soon. Okay, Steve. Before we let you go, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Before we let you go, let's do a review. Um, I'm going to spell this reviewer's uh, handle here, and you tell me how you would pronounce yeah. it. M A A K I S S. M or N? M as in Michelle. Spell it again. M-A-A-K-I-S-S. McKiss. See, I was thinking, is it Macus or is it McKiss? <laughs> uh, I think it's, because if it was Macus, wouldn't it be M-A-C or M-A-C-K? Good I call. don't know. Good call. I, I would go McKiss. Okay. So, McKiss sounds kind of like a name. Okay, so McKiss 330. Subject line. Shouts out. Shouts out McKiss. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies in advance for butchering your name. Yeah, I'm sorry. It didn't come with the phonetics underneath. Subject line. Did Freeze Pops die? Five stars. Always five star content. Love listening to you and Steve talk about everything and nothing at the same time. It's like hanging out with two of my friends I've known forever. But where did Freeze Pops go? Can we get a decorative beer can or a love life <laughs> update from him? LOL. Um, first of all, I think that when people say that listening to this podcast is like listening to friends that they've known forever talk about bullshit. It's the greatest compliment we could ever get. And people say yeah, seriously. It to us all the time. And that's exactly the vibe and aesthetic we're going for. I mean, the description of this podcast is conversation for its own sake. It's not supposed to be about anything. It's not supposed to be serious. We just are two friends, sometimes three friends that get together and talk about whatever we feel like talking about. So thank you for that compliment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's literally the exact vibe. What, who, didn't someone like nickname it like the Seinfeld, the podcast? It's just like, I don't know, whatever. We just talk about whatever we think is interesting. It doesn't have to have any flow to it. Yeah. Last week's reviewer called it a jovial locomotive, so we can go with that as well. Okay. Um, I like that too. It's descriptive. Yeah, jovial locomotive. Okay, so Freeze Pops. Steve and I, we see the tweets. We see the reviews. I know that people have been wanting to know where Tom is, especially now that Steve is back on the podcast full time. People have been wondering, yo, where is Freeze Pops? And, you know, Steve and I are so transparent on this podcast. It's not that we've been trying to be withholding. We just don't feel comfortable speaking about Tom when Tom's not a part of the conversation and can confirm he is great. We are working together now that I'm back on the morning show. He is the producer of that show. So he's still in St. Louis producing morning radio for 101 ESPN. And maybe one day Tom will come back and we can all kind of have an open dialogue and explain everything to everyone. But we just wanted to address the fact that Tom is okay. And we just didn't want to speak about Tom without having Tom be a part of it, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I, it was funny. We were talking about the uh, the white whale guests for, for our 100th episode. <laughs> Maybe it'll be Tommy Freespaugh. Maybe we'll be back in the mix because you're right. Listen, I would... I don't want to put words in anyone in anyone's mouth. So, I mean, I'd much rather hear it from the source uh, from him. And, like, that would be awesome if we can get that done. So we'll see if we could do it. Yes, but sorry if you guys thought we were being secretive or that it was weird that we weren't addressing it. We just, we had talked about it privately. And I wouldn't want to have a situation involving me happen without me having a say in it. So we just didn't want to talk about it without Tom present. So, you know, now that I'm working with him, we'll see. Maybe we can get that done. But anyway... Before we wrap this up, I also want to say, can confirm, now that Tom and I are back working together, I see him, he's working from home through Zoom every morning. He connects to the studio through Zoom, and I can see in the background of his apartment, the decorative beer cans on the top of the cabinets are still there. <laughs> so I, I mean, I wouldn't expect any less. <laughs> I see them every morning. I actually haven't mentioned it to him. I should, because every morning I, I see them, but it's usually when we're in segment, and I'm like, I gotta, rem- I gotta say something to him about those beer cans, but can confirm the beer cans are still there. And you know what's funny, too, is uh, I was thinking about this, and I, this is probably very much up Tom's alley. I was trying to remember the last time I actually put pants on, like real pants, like not sweatpants, like actual pants, and if Freeze Pops is working from home, there's zero chance, there's a zero percent chance Freeze Pops has worn pants at any point during that Zoom call. Like, I'd imagine he's just in boxer briefs. So I only see him from the chest up, and it's a different hoodie situation or a different T-shirt every day. Today was uh, a very cozy Arch Apparel Battlehawk sweatshirt that I had gifted him, so he nice. had that on. But normally it is either a Patriots T-shirt or a Bruins T-shirt or a Celtics T-shirt. It's usually some sort of Boston sports paraphernalia that he's Shocker. wearing. Yeah. Shocker. We but, get it. You're from Boston. We get it. You're from Boston. But if I haven't worn real pants in 70 plus days, there is 0% chance that Tom has worn anything no. but sweatpants. Or maybe, I think no. he and likes you know, flannel pants. So maybe flannel pants. Oh, he's got the pajama pants. Yeah. See, I was, I've never been a pajama pants guy. I wear sweatpants, not pajama pants. I just don't like them. I've got like the tapered jogger sweatpants. They're very comfortable. I wear them all the time. But at this point now, like bringing up like the like how long it's been since I wore pants. We went over to, uh, we like didn't break social distancing. We just like went over and just hung out like six feet away from my in-laws the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit, Maddie, like, should I put pants on for this? Like I haven't <laughs> worn pants. And I was like, but I kind of don't want to break the streak. I kind of want to keep this thing going and see how long I could not wear real pants for. So yeah. I went over there in my, in my jogger sweatpants and it was all fine. So I built the streak. I'm like basically the Cal Ripken of not wearing pants. Congratulations, but I'm proud of you. Yeah, I'm an endurance athlete, really, if we're being honest. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have my hair appointment on. This is my true test because when I come in in the morning, no one is here. It is just our board operator and my co-host that I see. And then everybody else that's here in the morning is in a studio. Today was the first day. We're taping this on Monday the 18th. Today was the first day. Some of the restrictions were eased in St. Louis. So some people are coming back to the halls. But by the time I leave at 10 a.m., nobody's there. And then when I come back to tape the podcast, it's the first door in the hallway. So I pop in and no one even sees them here. So I'm definitely still wearing um, sweatpants. To your point, they are tapered joggers right. as well. So they're a little bit, they're like elevated yeah. sweatpants. They're classy. Yeah. I mean, they are still definitely. At leisure, if you at will. At leisure. Yeah. Definitely still sweatpants. But I'm going <laughs> to get my hair done on Friday right after the show. And I thought to myself, okay, salon, first time I'm going to be in a real place that's not friends or family or that's not work where no one will see me in months. Do I wear jeans to the salon? Do I go, hey, no. no. 
I'm just going to sit no. here for a couple hours, so we're going comfort over fashion? Or do I say, okay, now is the time to really just say, you know what, I'm going to be a real person again, and I'm going to wear some pants? Wait, what do you usually do? Because I have, for example, have never worn real pants to the barber. I either wear basketball shorts or I wear my sweatpants. I don't wear actual pants. Unless I'm coming from something, like if I'm coming from work, but like if I'm just going to this appointment, I've never wanted to put real pants on to go to the barber. Well, normally I'm going to the salon either after work, so I'm coming from my workwear situation, or I'm going to the salon before I go out. So I'm definitely, because they're going to or they're oh, going to shampoo, yeah, okay. blow dry, and style your hair. So, you know, you want to just say, boom. The glow up the whole look, yeah. The glow up, I'm ready to go out. So, yeah, I always wear clothes there. Like, well, I'm not ever going anywhere nude, but, yeah, I wear, like, real clothes. I wear jeans or, an, like, an actual outfit to the salon. And they're always dressed really cute. I mean, the women that work at the salon, they're on point all the time. They're always with the highest fashions. I would say no. I would say you <laughs> keep rocking the sweatpant look because, and like if they judge you, then that's weird. I don't know. Because we're not trying to impress anybody. We're just trying to like keep our cleanliness. You're excited to go there. I don't think, I would find it weird if you dressed up knowing that you really couldn't go anywhere afterwards if you came dressed to the nines looking like you were about to go out just to get your hair cut, go there and go back home. No, it's not about them judging me because it's a total safe zone. It's about me. When I get my hair done, it's the most I'm going to feel like a real person in a long time. You know, my hair is, it is so bleak. The situation is just so upsetting. I can't even look in the mirror anymore. It's, it's gotten to the point of no return. And so for me. Yeah, Fedora Michelle. Fedora Michelle is a real thing. The fedora is in the rotation. It's severely in the rotation. I don't necessarily love the look, but it's, it's a necessity look right now. So for me to get my hair done, it's the first I'm going to feel like, things are kind of back to normal in my life. Even if for just like a split second and I'm wearing a mask, just having someone else blow dry my hair. I know a lot of people listening, I'm sure really identify with that feeling is going to feel so good and normalizing. So I'm like, do I take it up a notch? And do I just kind of say, okay, I'm just going to feel like a real person and I'm going to wear some jeans. Listen, I can only tell you what I would do. And I would absolutely not wear pants. Real pants, at least. <laughs> no way. Because yeah. I only really want to wear real pants if I have to. And you don't have to. You really don't. You don't have to wear real pants to this. So um, I can only tell you what I would do in this situation. And I would 100% go in a sweatsuit. One more quick comment. I had a friend who told me that she is now wearing jeans every day because they're so tight. Oh. She's gained so much weight in quarantine that they're oh. so tight. Oh, so boy. her wearing the tight jeans is like a constant every second reminder of her do not mm -hmm. say no to the banana bread today because she's like, soon enough, hopefully, we're going to be back into some sort of a cycle here, like a normal cycle where we'll be seeing people even if it's socially distanced or whatever. And she's like, so I'm I'm squeezing myself into pants so that I can say no to the sourdough and to, Again, no to the banana bread. I did call this, though. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I did nickname this the Quarantine 15. And it's, it's going to be a real thing when people start going out again. They're going to be like, whoa, so-and-so gained a little bit of weight. But it's going to be all of us, so it's not that yeah. big of a deal. We collectively have gained some weight. And then we could judge all the people that didn't gain weight and be like, wow, you took this way too seriously. Yeah, we're all in this together. We all know that we're going to emerge from this not looking our best, and that's okay. This was all about survival, right? It was about doing what you need to do on an hour-to-hour -hour basis to just get through the day and just to make sure you're safe and healthy and you were doing what you needed to do. And if part of you staying inside was eating a full pizza, Michael Jordan style by yourself, then so be it. No one is judging you. And I respect that. And honestly, I think now 
when I go out, if people are in jeans, I'm going to look at them with a side eye because I will be like, why aren't you wearing sweatpants? Because everywhere I go, everyone's wearing sweatpants at the grocery store. Yeah. Here, when I see people, like the few people that I've seen here. Now, not today because a few people came back and they were dressed in business attire. But yeah. If I go out and people are dressed in outfits, I'm going to be like, why aren't you wearing sweatpants? So, yeah, maybe I should not wear the jeans because I'll be the person that's catching the side eye. Yeah, and, the, and a quick note on the people who, like, because I, I know this is a thing. I don't know anyone personally, but I know that there are people because I've seen articles and tweets and whatever about it. There are actual people who, like, in their Zooms or every day just to work from home, get dressed up and wear what they would wear to work. I want to ask those people, do you also kill people on the side? Do you, are you also like a murderer? Like, like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard, that you would dress up like you were going to work just to sit in a different room in your house or maybe your living room for the entire day. I don't know how that would be a thing that you would want to do because if I'm working from home, the first thing that I want to do is be comfortable because that's first and foremost most important to me. This is why it's a slippery slope for me if I was ever to work from home full time. I would never put pants on. I really would never do it. I wouldn't even need that many pairs of pants. So it actually kind of scares me a little bit. <laughs> Dress for, it's like dress for the job you want, right? Like you want the job that you had before where you went into the office and everything was hunky-dory. So dress for the job you want, Steve, because we don't want our jobs to be on the couch every day. Or at least I don't. Yeah. I can speak for only myself. I need to get out of my house before I self-implode. <laughs> Soon enough. Uh, well, it sounds like you guys are at least things are like lighting up a little bit there and. uh in the St. Louis area in Connecticut, I think our deadline, our thing just got pushed back into June. So we're stuck oh, here for a little bit longer. I'm sorry to hear that. And honestly, now yeah. today is day one of the experiment of everything getting lessened. So we could be right back where you are. Everybody's just kind of taking this day by day. Uh, we talked to the great Dan Deerdorf on Character and Smallman this morning, and he said it best. I think we are now entering the wave of personal responsibility where once things start getting lessened, everybody that is getting those privileges back, you need to be responsible when you go out. So listen to the great Dan Deerdorf. Listen to the Hall of Famer and take that personal responsibility seriously. Yes. Don't be dumb. Don't be dumb because I'm trying to get on a boat and drink some rosé. Okay? So everybody better. Sooner than later. Sooner than later. So so straighten up and fly right. All right. Well, thank you for the reviews. If you haven't already, head to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate it preferably five stars, and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Anthony for putting this together. Thank you, Steve, for the great conversation. Hopefully, we will have another pod soon. We are still angling for the Instagram model interview, so hopefully that comes out sooner rather than later. But until then, stay home if you're required to. Stay safe. And please, wash your hands. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.